I'm Todd Starnes, and I have the wonderful privilege to be the pastor of Odessa First Assembly. And we are grateful that you're joining us for this podcast. It is growing and it's exciting. So please take time to like, to follow, to share whatever social media platform you're joining us on. I'm excited about this series. We are looking at Passover to Pentecost. What happened in between the resurrection and the ascension? And then what happened on the day of Pentecost when the church was birthed? I pray that these messages will bless you, encourage you. So let's jump right in to this week's message. I want to pray before we get started. Father, Lord, we just thank you for this morning and just your work in our hearts. And Lord, I just pray just uh, as we always pray. Every single week we pray, we ask that our hearts be good soil, ready to receive your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so excited. So today is it is the it is Palm Sunday, right? It is Palm Sunday. Okay. So it is Palm Sunday, and that's the kind of the beginning of Passion Week, Holy Week. And so, if you're not real familiar about that, it's really uh, it's the last week, of course, heading into Jesus's death and resurrection. And it's really interesting to me, you know, that uh, when you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course, it's an octave Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. But uh, when you look at the Gospels, you know, all of them, they all have different parables. They all have different stories, different accounts. And, but there is some that overlap, that they talk about the same thing. And I, I don't want to take a whole lot of time about that. Uh, there's a reason why I'm, I think it's a beautiful thing that the Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit carried along these men to write the Scriptures to us. And the reason why they read differently is because they were different men. And I think that's special because the Holy Spirit uses you and how God has made you. I think that's a special thing. But one thing that we know that is in all the Gospels and that is the last week of Jesus' life before his death and his resurrection. Uh, I mean, think about this. A third of Matthew, from Matthew 21 to 28, is about the last week of Jesus. A third of Mark, from Mark 11 to Mark 16, is about the last week of Jesus. A quarter of Luke, from Luke 19 to Luke 24, is about the last week, this Passion Week, this Holy Week. And nearly half of John is dedicated about this week. And matter of fact, over Facebook and email, I'm going to be sending out a daily reading plan of all four Gospels overlapping. And if you want to take part in that and, and, and read through that with us together. But today's Palm Sunday. It was the day of the triumphal entry. Monday is when, when, you, when you read through the scriptures, you see, I mean, and there were several things that happened on each day, but um, I just kind of wanted to maybe trigger your memory about some things, but Monday's when Jesus cleansed the temple. Maybe you maybe read about him cleansing the temple. That was on Monday. Tuesday, a lot happened, but that's where when on the day he taught about the parables of the ten virgins, about the talents, about the, the parable of the sheep and the goats. He, did, he taught that on a Tuesday. On Wednesday is when Judas agreed to betray Jesus. On Thursday, of course, that night is the Last Supper. And I, I want you to pro this is really important for this morning. 
So Jesus was arrested and taking what he was his first trial happened at two o'clock Friday morning, and by three o'clock Friday afternoon, Jesus was being placed in the tomb. And so Thursday night's the last supper, and then they went to the garden and had prayer. Remember, that's where you know the the, the you know the disciples fell asleep, and he said, "Can you cannot tear with me one hour?" And then, you know, Judas came, the betrayer, and Jesus was arrested. By 2 o'clock Friday morning, he is in um, the, the trials. There were several trials that took place. By 3 p.m., he was crucified. Saturday is considered silent Saturday um, because Christ was in the tomb. But then Sunday, they found the tomb empty, resurrection day. And so that's how the week lines up. And the reason why that's important is because of how... Passover falls and the other feasts and whether or not that three days was a literal 72 hours. There's people that think they, you know, are, are smarter than God. I don't know if you've ever met those kind of people, but uh, they're out there and they're like, how can you say that Jesus was in, you know, dead for three days? Well, the Jewish three days is different than our 72 hours of three days. And what you have to remember is, on, and the Jew, because right, you, I, maybe this may be a shock to some of you, but scripture was not written with an American slant. Did, did you know that? It, it, it was based upon the Jewish culture. <laughs> so and that's different than our American culture. And so, especially when it comes to the feasts, the sun down and the sun up is where, is where the, the difference is and, and what that means. And so people get confused about Jesus being dead and being raised on the third day. And so but it's because our days are different. And so here's a very quick timeline of those three days. So stay with me. I'm, I'm going to tell you, we're, it'll get really good in a second. So just hold on. So Thursday evening, we talked about the Last Supper. So after sundown marks the beginning of the first day, the eve of Friday. And so they're at the Last Supper, the sun goes down, and so now we're in the first day. And so Jesus was arrested and tried on Friday morning. The first day continues, and Jesus is executed, removed from the cross, and buried. Friday sundown the second day begins. And this is all according to Jewish culture. So Friday, sundown, the second day begins. Saturday, sunrise, sunset, Jesus in the tomb. Saturday, sundown is when the third day begins. And that's the eve of Sunday. Sunday morning, third day continues. Jesus is raised from the dead. And so the three days coincide with the Jewish sun rises and sun sets. But it doesn't stop there because when in the time of Passover, there are three different feasts going on. And those three different feasts are on three different days. And so that's also important as well to understand that these three specific feasts, they are prophecies about what that was about to happen and that Jesus was going to fulfill three days and three feasts, and it's all been fulfilled in Jesus. Are, are, are your minds okay so far? Are you with me? All right. So, I'm really hoping this first part is not too dry, but this will just hold on with me. I think it's going to minister to you. So, this, this is the historical part of Passover. 
And so that's what the Last Supper was. They were celebrating Passover. The Passover feast, um, or Pesach, is, how you, is, is the, the Hebrew word for the Passover feast, celebrates the deliverance of the Israelites from the slavery of Egypt. And so that's what the Passover meal is celebrating, that the Israelites were delivered to slavery from Egypt. And so when you look at the book of Exodus, during Passover, the Jews, they also commemorate the birth of the Jewish nation that's happening during the feast. And today, people not only remember the, the Jewish nation, they just don't, don't remember the, the actual historical event of the first Passover, but that now they are a nation which I know some weeks ago or months ago we preached about you know, the end times and the importance of nation, that Israel becoming a nation. But the first Passover, according to the biblical timeline, what happened on May 4th in 1451 B.C. See, a lot of, well, you know, man, I could chase all kinds of rabbit trails, so I'm going to stay focused. Focus, focus, focus. So the Hebrew Pesach means, get this, to pass over. Simple enough, right? So this, the word Passover comes from to Passover. I know, theology gets so confusing sometimes, right? So during the Passover celebration, the Jews take part as a meal known as the Seder. And so the thing is, is that Passover is more about that specific meal than a time frame or an event or anything like that because that meal is very important when it comes to the bird's eye view of what God is setting up in Scripture. And it's the retelling of the Exodus story of God liberating the Jews from Egypt. And so there are three feasts happening during Passover. And of course, we're talking about Passover. We're talking about that meal, Passover. What happens, so that happens, then, then the next day is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Is the, and so we're going to focus on the Passover, but I kind of have to lay this work just a little bit. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it starts right after Passover. And so this is a week-long celebration, but what it means is, is that Jesus is going to provide the way for the perpetual forgiveness of sin. See, specifically what was happening was God was telling them, get all the leaven out of your house. And that leaven was representing sin. And God was saying, remove anything with leaven out of your life. And what that was a symbol of is that when Christ shed his blood, that sins would be forgiven once and for all. So think about this. So we're going to talk about Passover, I know, and, and you know, we'll bring that into the picture in just a moment. And so when, when Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood, what does that blood do for us? It, not, it doesn't cover your sin like the old covenant, but he cleanses us. He washes us. He sanctifies us. He, he purifies us. And so when Christ died on the cross, he fulfilled the feast of unleavened bread. And it doesn't stop there because the next feast, so remember, I said there's three feasts, three days, Passover, 
the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then there is the Feast. Well, you know, I want to share a scripture with you real quick, a New Testament scripture. I almost got ahead of myself talking about unleavened bread. Look what the New Testament tells us, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Cleanse out the old leaven. Remember, what does unleavened bread? We're getting the leaven out. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Aren't you glad you're a new lump? So the next time, husbands, your wife says, you're just a lump on the couch. I'm a new lump. I'm just being biblical. <laughs> Sorry. As you, it goes on to say, as you really are unleavened, how, you, how are you really unleavened? Because you've been washing the blood of Jesus. Isn't the scripture beautiful? Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Each day, the feast as these were going on, the priests, they had special sacrifices. I'm going to tell you that these three days, it was a bloody mess at the tabernacle, at the temple. It was a bloody mess at the altar of the sacrifice after sacrifice. It stank. It was messy. I mean, there was blood everywhere. It was a grotesque sight, much like the abuse Jesus took before going to the cross. But see, there was something significant about Jesus. He was going to be not just the supreme, but the last. But when he became the last sacrifice, he became the first fruits from death. And that was the third feast, is the first fruits. The priest, they sacrificed the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the month of Nisan, and then there was the unleavened bread on the 15th day of Nisan. And the first fruits was the third day, the 16th day. Not Nisan, it, you know, if you're familiar with that word, it's spelled like Nisan, but it's Nisan. And that was a celebration of Christ. The, the purpose of first fruits was talking about the harvest to come. And so Jesus had to raise from the dead before a spiritual harvest could ever be made. And so it was, a, it was also a symbol and a prophecy of the resurrection of Jesus. That's what the feast is for. Listen to me. I believe, listen, I, we're, there's a movement happening, and I, I, I just want you to understand something. Yeah, yeah and there, there's seven feasts, and there's still others to be fulfilled. It'll start at the rapture of the church when the, the rest of the feasts will be, be, be fulfilled. But listen to me. All of the feasts are going to be fulfilled through Jesus. Your salvation is no longer based on whether or not you celebrate the feast. It's not, I'm not saying it's negative to do so. I, when you understand the power of the feast, it points to Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled it. Are you with me this morning? Jesus fulfilled it. The Bible tells us about first fruits, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The what? Do you see on the screen? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then we're going to get, our closing sermon will be that of Pentecost. We have also seen that fulfilled when the Holy Spirit came down in Acts 2 and empowered the church, a church was born, and, and enabled us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But that's, we'll get to that in 
49 days. So, but Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets, but what did he say? But to fulfill them. It's all been fulfilled through Jesus. It's all been fulfilled through Jesus. So our very, very, are you with me still? Okay, thank you for a couple of you. All right. So just to sum this up, to give a, a, a bird's eye view, because listen, I know some of you know this, but I'm going to tell you, there's, there's many in this room that don't realize the connection and don't understand this. And so I'm going to give just a moment to give of now we're, we're hitting Passover, the importance. We're just going to give a bird's eye view. So there was a man in the Bible by the name of Joseph. Anybody remember hearing about Joseph? Joseph, he was a favored son of, of, of his dad and of Jacob, and you know, he's got, got the coat of many colors. He had this dream that the sun, moon, and the stars, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna bow to him and all this stuff. Made his, his brothers were jealous anyway, and they ended up selling him into slavery. They threw him in a put. Some of them wanted to kill him, but one of his brothers intervened, said, No, let's not do that. Let's, let's just sell him into slavery. So he was sold into slavery. He was sold again to slavery in Egypt. and and then he came up through the ranks. God blessed the work of his hands. And so you know, if you know the story, you know, I mean, this is like super cliff notes, right? So, <laughs> and so he's, he's sold into slavery, and then um, he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He gets thrown back in the prison. You know, he had this dream given to him by the Lord that something significant was going to be happening in his life. And it took 13 years and two stints in prison and as a slave before it ever came to pass. And what happened was there was two men that served the Pharaoh, thrown into prison. Um, Joseph interpreted their dream. One, it didn't work out so well, and one, it worked out better. So one was killed, if you don't know what I mean by that. But you can go to Exodus and read all this, by the way. And so, and Joseph said, just, hey, just remember me. Well, the guy, you know, goes on about life, forgets about Joseph. But then Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh has a dream. He wants to know means. And then the guy was like, oh, I met this guy when you threw me in prison. And so they called for Joseph. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. And it was a, it was a prophetic dream about a famine coming to Egypt and all the land and how to survive that. And so Pharaoh takes Joseph, places him second in command, and to get Egypt through the famine. So in the midst of all this, his brothers and his dad, you know, they're starving because of the famine. They eventually make their way to Egypt. And uh, long story short, they reconcile, and then all the family moves to Egypt. And so when that happens, they're given some land, and they multiply, and their family grows. And that is the birth, and what hap- that's how the Hebrew nation, that's how what was given to Abraham Years ago, how it was all fulfilled. And so now they're in Egypt. They're growing in number. And so, but then the Bible tells us that there was a man, that there was a Pharaoh. So by the time of the Exodus, from when Joseph and his family are in Egypt, it's 215 years. So from the time of Joseph to the time of Moses... It's 215 years, and that small family, well, it wasn't really a small family, but that family grew to be over 2 million people. And so then the Bible tells us that there was a Pharaoh that didn't know about all this that happened and the history of it all. He was afraid that these people was going to overthrow Egypt. 
And so they made the Hebrew people slaves. And that's when they began to cry out for deliverance. But God had a plan to rescue his people, and it was through Moses. And so just very quickly, at the time Moses was born, Pharaoh had ordered the death of all the Hebrew males. Um, God spared Moses, and his mother hid him in a basket along the Nile, and Pharaoh's daughter found the baby and decided to adopt him. And so then, you know, Moses is raised in, in Pharaoh's home, ends up killing um, an Egyptian for um, uh, brutally be- beating a, a Hebrew slave. And so he goes to the back 40, burning, are we all together? Burning bush happens. You know, after making some excuses, Moses finally obeys. He's like, if Aaron will talk for me. And so Moses and Aaron, they repeatedly appear before Pharaoh and demand, let my people go. Here's something very significant. God does not say, let my people go, that I can take them to the promised land. He's very specific in what he says. He says, let my people go, that they may worship me. And that's going to be very significant. You're going to say more of that in a moment. And so that's when we get to the, of course, Pharaoh. The Bible says that God hardened his heart. He, he just remained unyielding. And so here comes the plagues. I told you this is really quick. I could have done the Bible project thing, I guess, and have it all written out if you know what that. Anyway, so, but Pharaoh refused, and so here comes the plagues. And we know that water was turned to blood, right? There were swarms of frogs. That, oh, and every time, Pharaoh was like, okay, we'll, we'll give in. And then he changes his mind. The Bible says his heart's hardened. And so here comes another plague. Number two, swarms of frogs overrun the land. That had made Shaylee really happy. She loves frogs. Um, then there was, uh, we were, came home from camp one time. She, I, she's not here. I can tell her this. Y'all don't tell her. I talk about her when she's not here. We got back to, I was mowing our backyard. I kid you not. I mean, it seemed like 50 frogs in our backyard. I'm like, where did all these, I mean, this is West Texas. Where are all these frogs? And why are they in my backyard? And I go in the house. I'm like, babe, there's like 50 frogs in our backyard. And Shaylee just kind of starts laughing. I'm like, what, what, what'd you do? I brought them home from camp. <laughs> Transferred them from camp to Lubbock and released them in our backyard. Swarms of frogs overrun the land. Number three, lice infest all the men and beasts. Number four, there were hordes of flies that invade the city. Then there was the epidemic of, of the cattle, the, the domestic animals dying. There was Number six was the boils that afflicted the Egyptians. And none of these impacted or affected the Hebrew people. Number seven, fire and ice combined came down and there was a ravaging hailstorm. Number eight, there was a, a swarm of locusts that demolished all the crops. Excuse me, number nine, the darkness that fell on the land. And it was just Egypt that were dark, Goshen, and where the Hebrew children were was, did not have the same plague. And then we get to number 10. All the firstborn of Egypt are killed at the stroke of midnight on the 15th of the month of Nisan. And so it's with this final plague, when God strikes dead the firstborn, that Pharaoh relents. Pharaoh loses his own son, 
And in Egypt, listen, on midnight of the 15th day of the month of Nisan, he lets the people go. And so when you look at Exodus 12, when God is setting up all that's to happen in the Passover, we read, and, and so I ask you to turn there, so, he, so Exodus chapter 12, we're going to look at just a couple of passages really quick. And so it talks about the lamb being without blemish, that they're going to take the blood and they're going to strike, they're going to put it on the two sides of the posts and of the upper posts of the house. And so Hebrew, or Exodus chapter 12, verse 13 and the blood shall be a sign for you. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't a sign to God. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, Pasak, I'll pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as the feast of the Lord throughout your generations, a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And I'm going to show you just in a moment how we still are keeping that feast. But, and then jump down to verse 23. For the Lamb will pass through to strike the, for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the Lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over, Pasat will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house and to strike you. Oh, there's so much here, right? So, number one is this. So, I got four points. That was all the introduction. Are you ready? Buckle up. It's going to be very quick. Number one is this Egypt represents the fallen world. When we're looking at this and we want to apply it to ourselves and what's happening here is that Egypt represents the fallen world. When you look in Exodus, and it's there in your notes and it'll be on the screen and that's that you version and all that kind of stuff that we have. But in Exodus chapter 3, we read something. I just want to read just a, a first couple of verses, I think. But Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, Then the Lord said, I surely have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard the cry because of their taskmasters. We're going to come back to that sentence in a moment. I know their suffering. We're going to come back to that in a moment. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptian. Listen to me, church. When Christ, when we come to Jesus in faith, that's exactly what happens. We are separated, taken out of the old world. We are brought into a new life. And all this happening in Exodus with the Passover and, and the plagues, it was all a precursor that we could apply to us today to realize, listen, there are two worlds at play before us. And either you are a part of the kingdom of God or you are not. And Christ died to pull you out of your mess. Christ died to pull us out of the, the old world, that, that the world of, the, of Egypt. Listen to me. God wants to take you out of Egypt. God wants to take you out of Egypt. 
And the way he, and listen to me, and the song we sang this morning is a perfect illustration because if Jesus never did another thing for me to know that through his blood and the cleansing of sin that I have eternal life is enough. It's enough payment. He's done enough. If he never answered another prayer, if he never gave me another dollar, if, if, if I lost everything to know that my salvation for eternity was secured because of my belief in him and the forgiveness of my sin, that is enough. He's prepared a home for us. I mean, he tells us in the Bible, and John, remember, that if I go, I go prepare a place for you. I'm going to tell you, I, I, but it's as I said earlier, I, I, listen, God always does more, right? I mean, I, I'm grateful and thankful, but sometimes we, we, what we kind of get in a, a clouded view is that God's purpose is not just to make you happy. God wants you home. He's trying to get you to heaven. He's trying to get you reconciled to himself. And you going to heaven is more important to God than you being happy. But God always does more. God always does more. And there will be a day, church, where all this will be solidified because there will be a new heavens and a new earth. But see, God doesn't stop there. Jesus doesn't stop there with us. So, well, the Bible says in John 15, 19, so God wants to take you out of Egypt. Look at this verse. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Us as believers can never feel at home here. But see, God doesn't stop there. God wants to take the Egypt out of you. Not only did he want to take you out of Egypt, God wants to take the Egypt out of you. You see, when he said, I'm going to deliver my people, I've heard their cry, and I'm going to take them in the wilderness so that they could worship me, is because God knew he was going to have to get the Egypt out of them. What happened at every single difficulty. Anytime anything went wrong, how did the Hebrew children respond and react? Oh, we were still in Egypt. If we had those leeks and those, which I never had a leek, I don't know, pomegranates and we'd have all that meat, all, I mean, they were slaves. They were being tortured and brutalized and and they wanted to go back to that because they thought it was better? So, is there anybody in the room this morning that's hearing what I'm telling you? I'm, I'm not looking at any, I'm not going to make eye contact. God wants to take the Egypt out of you. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16 for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from this world. And the world is passing away along with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. God is using our circumstance, our, some, the wilderness, the, the, the places of difficulty we're in, because he's trying to get the world out of us. 
God wants to get Egypt out of you. Number two is this, is that Pharaoh represents Satan. Or Pharaoh represents a type of Satan. And Pharaoh represents, you could even say that Pharaoh represents a, a, an antichrist. But Pharaoh represents Satan. We read in the New Testament, you know these verses, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Is this helping anybody? Are we, we all on the flight together now? Okay. It's worth holding on, wasn't it? First, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Ephesians 2.2. 2, in which you were... In, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of the disobedient. How does Pharaoh represent Satan? I mean, he, when we read earlier a few moments ago that the Hebrew children were, uh, I mean, they, they were at the hands of their taskmasters. And that's it. I'm going to tell you, I, the enemy, you guys have heard me say this over and over and over, and you're going to, as long as I'm here, you're going to hear me say it over and over and over and over again. Satan hates you. He hates you. I mean, think of it this way. As much as God is love and God loves you, Satan is hate, and he hates you. I think it's okay to say, I mean, we don't read a scripture that actually say those words like that, but it's, it's true, and it doesn't matter, and I, I think I've just said, I mean, I said it a couple of weeks ago or last week or something, but listen, it doesn't matter how far you are away from God, the enemy still hates you. Why? Because you were created and made in the image of God. You were, you were created a house. You are to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are precious to God, but that also means this. No matter how far you are from God, God still want, the Father still wants to be reconciled with you. He still wants to be in right relationship with you. It doesn't matter the past. It doesn't matter the mistakes. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter the, 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 the falling shorts, bad image, but I couldn't think of another word. Some, some of you caught that, I don't we are short fallings, not falling shorts. So <laughs> he'll redeem you from all of it. And I'm going to tell you this. I believe the reason, one of the reasons why we've been through, maybe you've been through personally, maybe we've been through as a church, maybe we've been through as a nation, is because the enemy knows the next great revival is on its way. The last greatest revival hasn't happened yet. And the enemy wants to cease that. He wants to stop that from happening. I mean, it all started with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Listen to me. The next great revival is happening and it's coming and it's on its way. It's my prayer. God, do it here. Do it in this house. Do it in this room and let it flow from here. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't think that this revival that's on its way, that is we're seeing the brink of, is necessarily going to be something like what we've seen in the past. I think God is going to do a new thing. I don't think it's necessarily going to be altar calls and people flooding the altar. I think the next greatest 
harvest is going to happen in your living rooms. It's going to happen on your back porches. It's going to happen in the marketplace. It's going to happen on the college campus. And so if you're waiting for me to do it, you're going to be waiting for a long time because God is trying to raise you up to accomplish his mission and his will. God wants to use you. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. Okay, thank you. All right. The third thing is this. i got to hurry now. I never started my timer, so I still have 35 minutes on my clock. Number three is this. The lamb without blemish. It's Jesus. And back in Exodus, when he's talking about that, to take that lamb and to place that blood on the doorpost and across the top, that was God saying, the answer's coming. There's going to be a day when I'm going to send my son and you're not going to have to sacrifice another ram. But I want to give my son because I love you so much. And he's going to be slaughtered for your sins. He's going to shed his blood that you can know what it is to be clean. He's going to shed his blood that you know what it is to have every chain broken. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9, 14, oh, how much more, everybody say more. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve a mighty God. Oh, the blood, the precious blood of Jesus. You know, we used to sing some of those songs, the, the power that's in the blood, that cleansing flow that's in the blood. I used to have a, a pastor when I was young, I'd hear him say all the time that some accuse us of having a bloody religion, but really what it is, we're just a, we're just a, uh, we have a relationship based on the blood. The Bible says there can be no forgiveness of sin unless there is the spilling of blood. And Christ spilt his blood for us. And listen to me, look what the scripture says. Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Look, to purify our conscience. I tell you what, I, if I allow myself, I mean, you guys know, I, I, I'm so open and, and see-through about just my life story, and I'm going to tell you that uh, even now, I'm now, I have now been saved I've now been saved 28 years. I've now been saved 28 years. I don't want to make an old joke or stay in the moment. Sorry. I mean, I had, man, I mean, 28 years. But there was that time before I came to Christ. I... If I allow myself, I, allow, I, I just have a lot of regret of the time I feel like that I wasted not serving the Lord. Anybody with me? It is a tool of the enemy. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. He's trying to get you to park in the parking garage of your past. 
He's trying to keep you bound to the memories of the mistakes. But see, the precious blood of Jesus, you know what it does? It cleanses your conscience. Yes, the blood of Jesus, it washes our sin. The blood of Jesus sets us free from the patterns of the past. But His blood is strong enough to wash those memories. No, you may never forget them, but God will heal you the pain of them. God will take away the regret of it all. He'll make you whole. You don't have to live there anymore. You can just, you know, I wish I'd have brought in a no parking sign. That'd have been awesome right now. Just, just give a no parking sign to the devil and say, no, I'm not parking there anymore. I'm not living there anymore. Number four is this. The blood of Jesus, the blood on the doorpost represents Jesus' blood for the cleansing of our sin. And that's what his blood represents. That's what we're talking about, that he's the lamb without blemish, the perfect lamb, the last sacrifice needed, and that his blood, it cleanses from sin. You know, if I ever, you know, if I had ever had a DeLorean, the flux capacitor, I'd go back to John chapter 1. I would. I, there's all kinds of things I'd want to see. But I would love to be there. That moment when John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Wow, that announcement just says everything. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Did you know his blood is just not powerful enough for you? It's enough for everybody. And when he washes us of our sin, the Bible says that our sin, and the psalmist wrote, that it's thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. He puts up the no fishing sign. And he forgives you as far as the east is from the west. I mean, did you know if you start walking east, you'll always walk east? You don't walk east. Now, if you're a flat earther, we're sorry for you. I know this, this illustration does not land on you. But, oh, so it, I, I said that, didn't I? Okay. But if you start walking east, you'll always walk east. If you walk west, you'll always walk west. That's how much God forgives you. And so, what does Passover mean to the Christian? The blood of Christ is the means of the exit from bondage and the means of entrance into God's freedom. The Bible says he's delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved son. Wow, thank you so much for joining us. It's such an honor that you would listen to our podcast. I hope and pray that you are ministered to in a very special way. Don't forget, this goes out on several different platforms. It goes out Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean. If you would, like, share, help us get the word out. If you want more information about us, just go to odessafirst.com or any of the social media platforms. God bless you.